RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. So last week, we discussed Cairn of the Winter King. And perhaps not ironically, this so a cairn is like a tomb. And this week, we're discussing another dungeon that has, or adventure, that has tomb in the title. So Cairn, tomb, uh, we didn't even plan that. Oh, wow. What are the chances? We're good. That in a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, we would talk about tombs. You know, pretty high. Pretty high. So today, what we'll be discussing uh, when we ran Tomb of Horrors, um, actually, the word T-O-M-B, Brian. Yes. Do you say tomb or tome? Tomb. Tomb? Yeah. I think tomb's right. Tome's obviously a book, T-O-M-E. Yeah. Um, way off topic. Uh, before we jump into recapping the adventure and then talking about lessons learned, uh, RPGLessonsLearned.com is up and redirecting properly to the TFRadio.net website. So if you go to rpglessonslearn.com, it will redirect you to only the RPG Lessons Learned podcasts on TF Radio. Instead of all the other podcasts that we do. Yep. Because nobody wants to listen to any of those. <laughs> well, maybe not this audience, but I absolutely encourage folks to, to expand their, their tfradio.net listening. Yeah, I, I, would, I would also encourage that. So let's jump into the Tomb of Horrors. Um. I really wanted to run this adventure for you guys after reading uh, an article by John Wick. And Brian, not that John Wick. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not Keanu Reeves. Um, so John Wick is a game designer that I really like from the from, from his L5R days and, and a few other smaller games that he's done. Um, so John Wick wrote an article, wrote a blog entry on his website about how Tomb of Horrors is the worst adventure of all time. Really? He, yes, and he went on to expand on that. I wholeheartedly disagreed, which is okay. We we are adults. Um, we don't have to do the typical internet thing of, of burning him to the ground because we disagree with him on one point. He is a noted game designer. I am not. All hats off and all respect to John Wick. He's made some games that I deeply, deeply love. But he happens to hate this adventure. And I didn't agree. At that point, I'd never run the adventure. I'd only ever read it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to run this adventure. People talk about it. It has a reputation. The first time I ever heard of Tomb of Horrors was during the Penny Arcade podcasts when Will Wheaton had an outburst as his character was dying in, in a pit of acid, where he said, this is Tome of Horrors to, to Chris Perkins, the DM. Um, it wasn't, by the way, that, that Penny Arcade podcast wasn't. He was just upset that his character was dying. But that's when I first heard of Tomb of Horrors, and I, and I researched it, and I read about it. And a couple of years ago, I picked up the Dungeons of Dread uh, reprint of, of several adventures. So I have that book here in front of me. And before we get into how we ran this adventure, I want to read you one sentence that Gygax included from the notes to the Dungeon Master section. Quote, this is a thinking person's module. And if your group is a hack and slay gathering, they will be unhappy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, after playing it, I can agree with that. <laughs> yeah, the dungeon's all about traps. He goes on in that notes to the Dungeon Master section to warn people exactly what they're getting into. And he says, you know, you, this is going to take a lot of time to run. It's going to take multiple sessions. Brian, this was three sessions for us? Three or four. Yeah, I think, yeah, it could have been four. Wow, it could have been four. So we, I, recognized how different Tome of Horrors is. So Tome of Horrors, is, 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 if you've never heard of it, 
Uh, look it up, read about it. It's very interesting. It's an extremely trap-heavy dungeon that Gary Gygax actually wrote for a tournament for for uh, for Origins, the first Origins con. Uh, he wrote it to be especially deadly. He wrote it uh, to to he famously wrote it as a way to kill high level characters because once a character got to be high level in 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 original D anD D in first edition, uh, it was pretty hard to challenge them with monsters out of the book. And, and Gygax wanted to prove that the game could still be challenging at higher levels. So he built this dungeon and populated it with inescapable death traps. So I totally get the game potentially being broken at high level play, but there's a difference in my mind between fighting a horde of enemies and, you know, an escape proof trap. I mean, whether you're level one or level 20, you're going to die either way. Absolutely true. I think that sort of, gosh, I don't want to say devalues the experience and the, the energy and the time that goes into the player. But I mean, I guess if you look at it this way, you know, whether I'm a level one human being like myself or level, you know, 20. I, I would argue that you're not even level one. Okay. You, you and I are both NM. We are both normal men. Really? So is that, dang. That's a thing. That's a thing. Okay. So, well, it, it was a thing back in this era. So, you know, whether you're a level, an NM player like us or a level 20 human being like Hulk Hogan. There you go. The Hulkster. The Hulkster. Uh, with, it, with age, he might be down to level 19 possibly i think he's traded in some of his some of his experience points to craft some magical items like tearaway shirts it's, and uh, you know age has brought him down to level 19 th that's true but like you know uh if he were to say fall off of the empire state building that would be the end of him just like it would be the end of us sure so realistically i guess that makes sense but i don't know there's something that doesn't sit well with me about that so you're hitting on a couple of interesting things and a lot of the points that you're making about how inescapable death traps, well, you're agreeing with some of the points that John Wick made. And let's talk about that for a minute. Sure. First of all, um, his proposition, and I think yours by extension, is it's pretty hard to have fun with inescapable stuff. Do you agree with that general statement? So, yes, but we're also going to talk about it, the game we actually played. We so, are. So. That's, that's my follow-up question yeah. is, did you have fun during I did. the game? I did. I think, I think this game was a lot of fun for us. But we didn't die. And let's talk about that for a second. So I'm sure everyone listening who's ever played Tomb of Horrors, they didn't die? What? It's true. And there was no fudging whatsoever. But I will talk about, um, I, I will limit that statement yeah. with some uh, qualifications. First of all, I had just read a, a great novel. Uh, again, no, no uh, what do you call it? No relationship with this author. Never met him, don't know him. But Jeffrey Russell wrote a book called The Dungeoneers. Uh, on Amazon. So I, I bought it. I read it right before we ran this adventure. And it was about a group of dwarves who specialize in clearing out dungeons. And they, and they take a very workmanlike approach to it. They, they tie themselves together in, into work gangs and, and they specifically spring traps and they very methodically go through the dungeon. And um, I, I thought, you know, that's a really interesting way to take on a dungeon like Tomb of Horrors. And I thought I could totally, to, to John Wick's point, if you throw an unprepared group of adventurers into the Tomb of Horrors, they're going to die and then be angry with you because you didn't properly set it up. So I properly set this up with you guys. I you warned did. you. Hey, this you guys have been hired. I, I, I totally took uh, Jeffrey Russell's setup for his novel and used it for my game. 
You guys belong to this group of dwarves that specialize in clearing out dungeons. You have wagons of materials and tools at your fingertips. And, you know, you go in in small teams and small groups. You explore. You you make maps as you go. Uh, magically, pieces of paper outside the dungeon get updated with your with your learnings. Uh, if you die, your family, your friends and family back home in, in whatever dwarven stronghold you're from get hazard pay. We set it up in a very workmanlike way. So I was very clear with you guys, hey, there are a lot of traps. It's going to be dangerous. And I actually had you guys, how many extra characters did I have you all roll, Brian? Was it was it two or three? Um, Yeah, basically we had the guys in queue in case we needed to basically, almost like a one-up. In the sense of like Super Mario Brothers or something, yeah. or somebody just ready to take the to start over for yeah. us. I had everyone roll at least I think three characters so that we could queue up another band of adventurers if the first got squashed. We ran this like a one shot. We didn't use our our regular characters with this, and because of that setup, and because of the workmanlike approach that setup encouraged you to take, no one died. No one died. I mean, so. The way we approached it, yes, uh, we knew that going in, it was almost like the bomb squad, realistically. Like, if you throw me in a room with a bomb and you tell me that I have to, one, avoid it, and two, disarm it, I'm going to die. But we went in like we – we've been playing a lot of of D&D over the last – because this was a very recent game for us. We've been playing for the last seven years. Um, So we had an idea of things to avoid. And uh, general best practices. So we employed all of the best practices and all of the care that we could in playing the game. And we had a lot of fun doing that because that was the framework that we were working within. So you guys actually defined for me, uh, talk about bringing business in, into, into D&D. You guys actually defined for me, quote, an SOP, a standard operating procedure for breaching a door. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh Man, vaguely. Uh, so you guys, I can't remember what the steps were. I, I wish I'd written them down. But um, you, so it was you, Mike, and Nathan that played mm-hmm. this game. Chris was there too. That's right. Chris was there for um, one or two of the games. For most of the sessions. Yeah. So four players. And you guys kind of bouncing ideas off of each other came up with this SOP for, all right, first we're going to try to unlock the door. We're going to you know, wear these gloves. Then we're going to do this. Then we'll kick the door once. And then if we open the door, we're going to stick a weapon through the, the plane of, of the opening mm-hmm. to see what happens, and then we'll throw something into the room, and then we'll pour water around the crack. Like, you guys had this whole SOP, and then when you'd encounter a new door, you guys, would just, you guys would just say, you, you, well, you didn't call it every step. You yeah. would just tell me, okay, we're going to follow the SOP. What interesting happens? So it's up to me to say, okay, when you get to step nine, and you pour water around the threshold, X happens, yeah. or Y happens, or, or when you stick the, the sword through the door and an arrow shoots at it or whatever. But you guys, I was really thinking this was going to be a, a game of lemmings where the we first did group died, the second group died. And, and because you were so careful in SOP, like as you guys went around the perimeter of the dungeon, you were hammering, um, you were drilling basically holes in the rock. You were, you were hammering, mm-hmm. what are they called? Pittance into the rock to look for, into, into the stone walls to look for hollow spaces, to look for places where you could break through into a secret passage. And as DM, when you guys start laying out very realistic SOPs, I mean, what dungeon can stand up to a group of determined dwarves hammering spikes into every damn thing 
you, you can't. No, no dungeon stands up to that. And we actually was because we didn't die, and we played this over the uh, four, three or four sessions. We actually were able to get in quite a bit of RPing as well because I remember my character changed sexes due to. Uh, yeah, there was a gate or a portal yeah. or something, and the first time you went through, you were the opposite sex. Yeah, and my character ended up liking, preferring that. Yeah, and and you were fine with that. We we had a, that was that our first LGBT character, possibly. Well, I mean, I I would say it's complex. I maybe uh, gender fluid or something. So somehow, every time you went through, both your your gender and your alignment would change. Yes, and you were really you were very uncomfortable when your alignment changed. Not so much when the gender changed. No, not so much when the... So when your alignment got back to good, you were like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And I'm okay being female. My alignment's back to good. I'm done. Yeah. That, that's uh, And that's basically, I guess, the mindset that I bring to the game. I, I always want to play a good player, uh, preferably lawful good. Uh, I think just because I can really get into it and I could find myself going to a deep, dark place if I didn't do that. Fair. So... I'd set the game up properly. I'd set it up to allow for the maximum of fun, you know, with with, with the dwarves. Um, no deaths. We had interesting encounters with the various, um, how do I phrase this, interesting twists that Gygax included, like the gender swap slash alignment swap, gates or portals, whatever whatever that thing was. Um, oh, let's talk about the, the, the certain death traps and, and warning, spoilers ahead, um, if you can spoil a dungeon written that long ago. Mm-hmm. 40 years ago. So it was written for the tournament in 75 and then released commercially in 77. So, so 42 years. 42 years ago. Wow. I was just guessing. Anyway, so I've read of Dyson Men since you have. Oh, what a great book. So let's talk about the certain death traps and, and like I said, spoilers ahead. The sphere of annihilation in the mouth of the statue. I remember. I don't remember that one. So there was a statue that had the big open mouth, yeah, and it was just 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 the right size that that someone could crawl into it. Um, that the inside of that mouth was a sphere of annihilation, and thanks to the sphere of annihilation basically having a, a pop culture presence, um, you guys, uh, Mike, I think, had watched a documentary called The Dungeon Masters, which is a. I, I don't love the documentary. It's a bit of an unfair slant on Dungeon Masters, but. It, the documentary has its moments. O- overall, I've, I've, I've watched it. But uh, there's a part where uh, one of the dungeon masters that they interview, they follow four dungeon masters, and one of the guys that they interview talks about the sphere of annihilation in his game and how it ended a party. Mike had been aware of that. Uh. So as soon as the statue shows up with with the mouth, he was throwing stuff in there, and you know, do I hear anything? Like, And, and no, he noped out of that. He stayed away from the sphere. So, so the sphere of annihilation didn't get anyone. So he cheated in a way. Uh, sure, he 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 brought some uh, some metagame knowledge in, but he did test it scientifically. Yeah. The other certain death traps. I was going to say, did we have a control in place? Would, would we have a simultaneous game going where we didn't test it? Oh, we should have. Yeah, we need to get another DM. But I, I guess his control and experiment were, were throwing things in in there and listening for sounds and poking a ten foot pole in there to see what happened. Anyway, um. The other death traps were the false entrances. Yes. The there, there was the one false entrance that had the the uh, ceiling that was weakened mm-hmm. and would give way, and the the module actually calls for a spot check or a perception check, and you guys made that check and recognized what was going on. So you purposefully collapsed it. And then there was another false entrance where the, the door 
behind you would close. Uh, and once it was closed, that was it. There was no way to get you out. And somehow you guys figured that one out or avoided that one. I think you wedged the door open. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Uh, but really, very workmanlike approaches to every step of this dungeon and, and, and didn't die. There were a couple of combats. Gosh, we, we keep talking about gargoyle combats. But coincidentally, there was a gargoyle, a different gargoyle in this game. Uh, there, there was, of course, the lich combat at the end. Mm-hmm. Overall, the combats were good. They were interesting flavor. The traps were interesting. I think we had a lot of fun defining the workmanlike approaches. It was almost like you guys were writing macros for your characters. Yeah. <laughs> and then telling me <laughs> what macros you were running. Yeah, and executing them. Exactly. Uh, Control-Alt-G. Control yep. <laughs> so we're going to make our way around this room. It'll take us a couple hours. Every time we get to a new five-foot section of wall, we're going to hammer this in. We're going to do this. We're going to knock for hollow parts. We're gonna, And then we'll move five feet to the left. And a couple of traps, as you move five feet to the left, did spring on you. Um, and it just happened to not take off enough hit points to actually kill you. So spears burst out of the wall. And um, you guys just, again, reemphasizing with no fudging, you guys just didn't die. I mean, I, it comes down to our personalities, partly what we do professionally. Uh, and, I mean, so Chris is a developer. He part, It's part of his job. He, he thinks in terms of uh, log, algorithm, algorithms and things like that. I, I think in terms of business process, uh, Mike is just anal. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I, I, I just it just made sense that that uh, I, like I'm not in hindsight shocked that we didn't die. Um, not that I think that we're that great. It's just that that just happens to be a uh, very conducive to uh, our, our style of play. Seems to be very conducive to that uh, that dungeon. Yeah. So let's talk about. So that's the recap. Lessons learned. So the the core negative lesson that I took away from this. Uh, it was a slog. I really, for the, if, if I was grading this game, I would give it a B minus. Meaning, for the most part, very enjoyable, very fun. We had a good time. We laughed a lot. Um, we had You guys, on your own, had this whole subplot going where you found so much freaking treasure in that dungeon that you were hiding it yes. from your dwarven counterparts outside. And the, uh, basically, our customer who had... Uh paid us to go in and uh, basically, for lack of a better term, disarm the dungeon. Yeah, to clear it. So you guys on your own had, had that whole story going. Um, we somehow, we as you guys went out, you left the dungeon once to resupply at one of the wagons. And we had this subplot going. Do you remember this uh, with the rival team? Because there were teams that got special hazard yeah. pay for going in first. And you guys had a rival team. I forget I forget the name. I think I reused the name Amber Shard from Falkrest. To, to be the rival captain, you know, the, the, the captain of the rival team, something Amber Shard, Amber Shard being his last name. Um, you guys struck up a rivalry with him, so you had that going for you. We managed to find our own role-playing, find our own RP amidst this very mechanical module. Yeah, we did. So uh, I, I'm trying to remember how we actually interacted with the rival faction. Weren't we transported back outside a couple times naked? That's right. Yes. Yes, you were. Uh, yeah, like through a portal or something, we were thrown back out. And I think the rival faction wanted to... They were making fun of you, and they were like, oh, can you know... Yeah. And and, and I, I really played up the fact... You guys had, had called them out as rivals, and I started playing it up, really getting into the RP saying... Oh, you know, if you guys want to sit this one out, we'll go in. Yeah. We'll, we'll take first crack. And you guys played it off pretty strongly. Yeah, I, 
you know, I, I had a lot of fun. I, when games go into the multi-session, uh, now that we're doing bi-weekly, I think it's easier. Uh, but when we were doing things monthly, especially, um, multi-session isn't always the best. But uh, I, I had fun with this all the way through. I, I, I think our RPing was good. Um, I think the challenge of it was, uh, was fun. Um, I, I, just in general, I, I had a, I, considering we were basically dealing with a dungeon and I, I know we had encounters, but there weren't that, there weren't that many encounters because we were, our, our adversary was the Tomb of Horrors itself. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. The, and again, and finding our own RP, you remember the illusory collapse? Yes, I do. So there was the fake lich yes. who triggered this illusion of a collapse, and you all ran out, and you wait, and then you go in, and man, you guys were RPing fantastically as I'm like, nothing looks collapsed, nothing this, nothing that. And then suddenly, and I think this might be the first time I ever curse on the show, so you might need to bleep this out, but suddenly Mike goes, son of a bitch, it was an illusion. Yes. And that moment was, was hilarious. We all died laughing. So for whenever we actually end up playing some of our games, uh, there will be cursing on that, so I'm not going to oh worry. Oh my about gosh, yeah, we curse so much during the games. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about that. We don't curse when we talk to each other here, but in the game, we are dropping F-bombs and, and just reprehensible language I'm, left, right, and center. Some games I may have to go back in and just recheck to make sure we don't say anything especially inflammatory. Yeah. we uh, we So for those listening at home, we tend to play, for the most part, when we can find time. Our weekends are really sacred for our families. Uh, we have wives, we have kids, we have pets, we have extended families. So it's tough to spend a weekend on a game. We do it every so often. So we game Thursday nights after work. And after work, man, I don't know what it is about being tired, being blitzed. Uh, it just makes you kind of silly and willing to say some 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 dumb stuff. And it's a good chance to vent on things that may be going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely, to, to work some things out. Um, let's talk some more about some, some of the visual preparation I did. Do you remember these, Brian? So I'm holding up. The Tome of Horrors originally, when it was first published, came with two booklets. There was a, a uh, yeah. there was a booklet of illustrations, and you could show the illustrations to the players from the illustration booklet without without ruining the adventure. So, I actually had bought the PDF of the Dungeons of Dread as well, and I printed all the illustrations. I cut them all out and I laminated them all. And I, I mean, this is like, gosh, thirty or forty little laminated sheets of paper. Some of them are about the size of a five by seven index card. Some are about eight by ten, but every time a description of a room called for a picture, I would delve into this little folio, this little folder where I had all the pictures in, in, in number order, and I would hand you guys the picture, and, and we would pass these uh, these photos around. A ton of illustrations in this dungeon, and I'm so glad that I had printed and, and laminated these. This was a couple of hours of work, but completely worth it to be able to hand the picture out. Did, did that add anything to you? For yeah, you? it did. Uh, and were these Gaiax illustrations? No, Gygax didn't actually do the illustrating. He he was no. Well, I don't know how good an artist he I was. I mean, it's not like it's the. It's not bad. No, no, it's, they're, it's, they're, it's simplistic by modern standards. Sure these these are these are early, um, early adventures. I mean, the reproductions. I mean, I know the, these were professional, but it also it, by looking at it, it's something like you would see out of a zine from the time. Yeah, I don't see anything naming the illustrator, but I I doubt it was Gygax. Anyway, um, yeah, these are some these are quite good pictures, very good black and white pictures. In fact, the, the the simplistic thing you said, Brian, my main takeaway from the Tomb of Horrors is, I guess it's been borrowed from and polished and reworked and re-edited 
and cleaned up so many times, and so many dungeons have borrowed from the Tomb of Horrors, that playing the original, it was noticeably clunky in parts. Yeah. Like, like there were things, mechanics, ideas, thoughts that noticeably had not quite been refined yet. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, it was still basically a shoestring operation at that point. So, again, negative. I remember the last session. So this is where I've noticed, Brian, as I've re-listened to our episodes, that we have a theme. And one of our themes flies in the face of most modern uh, Dungeon Master advice. Most Dungeon Master advice talks about staying away from metagaming. And a lot of our advice seems to revolve around, hey, sometimes it's okay to metagame. It's okay to put the AC up on the board. It's okay to put the hit points on the board. It's okay to show that because you're just adding context that real people in the in the real world would have. And here's a metagame context. We were walking into the third or fourth, whichever session was the last session of this. And I remember saying, guys, I'm tired of this. One way or another, this is the last session. <laughs> yeah. So we're, you know, we're going to find a way to get through this today. And you guys worked with me and when we became very workmanlike ourselves and knocking out the rest of the adventure and still having fun. So good episode to do because we've, we've, I've busted a lot on dungeon crawls because we, we had some pretty rough ones in, in fourth edition. This dungeon crawl was actually quite fun because of the way we'd set it up, because of the, the team of dwarves that specialize in busting through dungeons. Uh, I didn't learn a lot about running a dungeon positively that I didn't already know. Yeah. I did learn that three sessions of any one thing is is too much. How frequently did we play? Was there was there a month gap between or did we actually try to speed this up? At, so we did introduce one session to speed this up because we had so much fun in the first session. Yeah. So, so we play we play by bi monthly now, meaning two times a month. At the time we ran this adventure, we only played monthly. So after work, it was the first Thursday of every month. Um, and we introduced a, a, a Thursday in between because we had so much fun with the first session and we wanted to make more progress. So we probably played through this over the course of six weeks. Yeah, that sounds about right. Man, uh, I, I had a lot of fun. I don't know that I would want to revisit it. I mean, not that I would want to revisit anything in particular, but I don't think I would want to play another game just like this. No. In fact, as we ended the session... I remember Mike saying, this was great. Let's not do anything like this for about six months. Or at least six months, yeah. Yeah, for at least six months. But uh, that, that that was all of our thoughts. Like, hey, this was great. It was a fun departure for us. Let's not do this again, which is kind of a shame. I never told you guys this, but there are other dungeons in this book that I really want to run. Um, but they're not they're not designed to specifically kill you outright at every turn. You'd be surprised. Oh, great. You'd be surprised. A lot of the older, so, so just the idea of a dungeon crawl in general is, I think, what Mike was talking about. Mm-hmm. And because this is called, let me see here, Dungeons of Dread, it's just, it's four classic dungeon crawls. And Expedition to Barrier Peaks is a dungeon that I've always wanted to run. Um, I don't want to tell you, so, so Brian, for those of you listening at home, I, I know you all know what Ex- Expedition to Barrier Peaks is, or you probably do. Brian does not. I do not. And I don't want to ruin it for him because I really want to run that concept one day. And, and even just the one sentence description of that dungeon um, kind of takes away the surprise that I want to that I want to give the players as they play through that. So uh, I actually, I just I want to hit on real real quick. So I think this sort of speaks to the type of player that I am. And we talk about this before. I very much enjoy doing it. I enjoy doing this podcast, talking about it. I really get into it, but 
other than I like buying the guidebooks for whatever we're playing. Um, I like buying dice. I don't do a lot of reading or studying on D&D campaigns or anything like that. Like, I can compartmentalize it where I can't necessarily compartmentalize other things. Like, I buy, again, guidebooks for what we play. You buy every guidebook. Yes. So a couple of episodes ago, I said I had a shelf full of books, and that had been misinterpreted. Someone asked me, oh, so you have, like, like a, like one shelf on a bookshelf? <laughs> no. No. I have an entire bookshelf, top to bottom, left to right. Yes, you do. Filled with nothing but hardback books. And when I layer in all the box sets that I've bought over the years, the, the dungeon um, dungeon command boxes, the D&D board games, the minis, the the maps, the all the other stuff, I have a... You know those those IKEA cube storage things, those expedite Kalax. Kalax, there you go. I have a five by five, like five cubby by five cubby Kalax filled with gaming stuff, in addition to the shelf full of nothing but books. Yeah. In fact, uh I'm probably going to get the three by five if if they have that, because uh, I just have to replace another bookshelf, which Dusty pointed out that my bookshelf is broken. Yes, here we are in RFC Studios, and I noticed that one of Brian's shelves was leaning. Thank goodness he was able to evacuate it before any of his extensive Transformer collection were, were damaged. Sadness. Sadness. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out as a, as a lesson learned here. So I, I mentioned we didn't learn a lot because the session went more or less as I had planned, um, aside from the fact that no one died, which threw me. But it went well. We had fun. We laughed a lot. We we found our role play. We we were really we had gelled a long time ago as a group by the time we did this, and nothing was particularly new here. But part of the reason we had such fun with this, you know, famously, you know, famous meat grinder of a dungeon, is the setup, is the fact that we departed from our regular characters for these sessions. We set up a completely different set of characters with different backgrounds where it would be okay if they died. We, you know, I set up an exact situation to enable a lemming meat grinder dungeon crawl without getting frustrated. Hey, build three characters. You're a member of this wagon train of dwarves, and the wagons are all full of tools and axes and sledgehammers and spikes and 10-foot poles and rope and any kind of hardware you might need. Because you are a literally a company of dwarves that do this for a living, anything you might need, you you basically have on hand right outside. Because I'd set that up, that enabled a lot of the fun. So I had the experience to do that setup to enable your fun. I recognized what would be frustrating about an adventure like Tomb of Horrors, and I headed I, I headed it off at the pass. You did. So thinking about this, so this was about a year ago, a little, a little less than a year ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because. A year ago, I'd just been in this house like for three weeks, and this was nothing but boxes everywhere. So, probably eight months ago, um, we, were we playing any regular characters at that point? I think we had just been going from one 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 shot to one shot. I don't think we had played a regular character. What where, where I'm going is, I don't think any character that I've played uh, over multiple games, I don't think any of them would have survived at all because just the way that I play them. Uh, none of the most of them are like hack and slash, you know, either um, they're quick to fight or quick to um, joke or something like that. But they're not very thought. None of my characters are very thoughtful. Yeah, And I don't think this dungeon is a place where any of your normal characters would even go. No. Like, hey, 
Um, what's your character's name? Oh, we're playing the Pathfinder. Ezrin. So Ezrin, we're playing the Pathfinder Iconics because we're still going through. We're still we're still leveling up to five in the in the beginner box, limiting our scope in our current game. If someone said to your current character, "Hey, Ezrin, there's this hole in the ground with super filled with traps." I mean, he would have it would have to be something where he was basically at spear point by someone who is several level le- levels higher than he is. Yeah, and he would have no motivation. Yeah, to go there, he'd have no reason to. Yeah. Hey, there's a ton of treasure there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm a level two wizard. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't care. Um, and he gets enough treasure in our current game, or I think we did the math. He in the world of Pathfinder, Ezrin could live comfortably for a year on oh, yeah. what he's already got. So so he has no real impetus to go and and get ultra wealthy and, and some hole in the ground. So I had to do that setup with the company of dwarves that had been hired, and this is your freaking job to eliminate um. Any challenges you guys might throw at me about why is my character doing this, or I'm just gonna get the hell out of this dungeon because hey, that guy, Mike's character just died. I have zero interest in doing the same. I'm gonna nope out of here. Yeah, exactly. So, to, I guess the advice here is if you're gonna run a module and if you're gonna run a famously meat grinder module like Tomb of Horrors, feel free to change the setup. Feel free to switch out the characters. Feel free to not play with your normal weekly characters. So that you can just have fun with what the dungeon is and, and not frustrate people on, on expectations that differ from reality. And the metagame pieces that I'm okay with, I've, I've gotten more comfortable with metagaming over the years. It's setting those player expectations. Here's what we're about to do. Here's the type of adventure you're sitting down to right now. And that goes back to business, Brian. Yes. Every business meeting. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. And then tell them what you told them. Yeah. Exactly right. That's business. That's every meeting. No, no surprises. We're not reading a novel here. We don't want a surprise ending. You don't walk into a meeting with a CEO and build the narrative story that ends, you know, five minutes before the end of the meeting with, and here's what our sales numbers are. <laughs> That's not what you do. Yeah. You walk in and you say right away, you know, all right, CEO, here are our sales numbers. Here they are on a slide. Here's a summary. Now, let me tell you the story about how we got there. And that gives him or any audience a framework to hang the details on. Giving you guys the framework of, hey, you're entering this trap-filled area gives you a framework to, to set your expectations on. And, and aligned expectations in business, in life, and in D&D are very important to enable productivity and fun. Yeah, exactly right. Well said. Anything you'd add or are we done? I think we're done. Awesome. So next week, we're going to talk about, we're going to go back to what happened immediately after Karen of the Winter King, and we're going to talk about uh, the Tower of Waiting. Basically, uh, my attempt to introduce a fortress, a, a stronghold for your characters in our fourth edition game. Oh, yeah. That'll be fun. Yep. All right. Tune in next week, rpglessonslearned.com. To see our episodes, all the subscription buttons are there. All the subscribe buttons are there. RPGLessonsLearned.com. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you.